Hello, it's Tuesday the 16th of January and welcome to another edition of Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang-ho. President Yoon Sang-yeol has vowed to respond to North Korea's provocations with measures several fold stronger. We'll have more in news briefing shortly. Last week, the US granted approval to spot Bitcoin ETFs, but financial authorities here in South Korea have decided not to follow suit. We discuss the ramifications of these developments for our in-depth today. And coming up for Touch Base in Seoul, we meet the MVP of the third round from the Korean Basketball League this season, Paris Bass of the Suwon KT Sonic Boom. We have all that and more in today's Korea 24. The war of words between the two Koreas is continuing to escalate. South Korean President Yoon Sung yeol on Tuesday vowed to respond strongly to North Korea's provocations. This comes after North Korean leader Kim Jong-un called to completely occupy the South in case of a war. Our KBS World Radio News Editor Koo Hee-jin joins us in the studio now to update us on the ramped-up threats and warnings, as well as our other headlines of the day. Hee-jin, hello. Hello, Jung. So we saw some alarming threats exchanged across the border. First, what did President Yoon say? Well, President Yoon Song-yeol on Tuesday vowed to punish North Korea with measures several fold stronger in the event uh, that the regime carries out a provocation against the South. His comments came as he presided over a cabinet meeting at the presidential office in Yongsan on Tuesday. Let's listen to his remarks. If North Korea conducts a provocation, we will punish them with measures several fold stronger. The traditional fake peace tactics that threaten South Korea with a choice between war and peace will not work. Yun noted that North Korean leader Kim Jong-un vowed not to recognize the northern limit line in which the regime carried out a so-called political provocation uh, meant to divide South Korea and make the citizens anxious. President Yun also made it clear that the current administration is different from any previous governments, referencing the overwhelming response capabilities of the army. The South Korean leader called on the country and the government to unite as one to defeat the deceptive tactics and propaganda of the regime. The North Korean authorities defined inter-Korean relations as a hostile relationship between two countries, not a kinship relationship. This is an admission that the North Korean government itself is an anti-national and anti-historical group. However, Yoon made it clear that it's the North Korean government that poses a threat to the Korean peninsula and not the North Korean people, calling on the Unification Ministry to designate an official day for North Korean defectors. Yoon's comments come amid flaring tensions on the Korean peninsula, with North Korea firing artillery near the western sea border in recent weeks and launching an intermediate-range ballistic missile on Sunday in its first ballistic test of the year. And Yun's remarks also come in response to North Korean leader Kim Jong-un's latest call for a constitutional amendment to define South Korea as, quote-unquote, the most hostile state. What can you tell us? Well, the North's official Korean Central News Agency said Kim made the call on Monday in Pyongyang in a speech at a session of the North's uh, rubber stamp parliament, the Supreme People's Assembly. Kim reportedly said it is important to state in the constitution that in the event of a war on on the Korean peninsula, North Korea will completely 
occupy, suppress and reclaim South Korea, intending to claim it as the territory of North Korea. Kim said that as the North has now decided not to consider the South as a counterpart for reconciliation and unification and has defined it as the most hostile country towards the North, it needs to take legal measures to reflect these changes. Kim also uh, called for constitutional revision to prohibit the use of expressions describing the two careers as the same people and to remove certain terms such as um, self-reliant, peaceful unification from the constitution. Meanwhile, the KCNA reportedly uh, reported separately on Tuesday that the Supreme People's Assembly has decided to abolish key agencies in charge of inter-Korean relations at a key parliamentary meeting. The abolished bodies are the Committee for the Peaceful Reunification of the Country, the National Economic uh, Cooperation Bureau and the Kumgangsan International Tourism Administration. Meanwhile, we have some breaking news now that the North Korean Foreign Minister Chesani has met with her Russian counterpart Sergei Lavrov in Moscow. What more can you tell us? Well, according to reports, Lavrov laid the blame on the current tensions on the peninsula to U.S. policies. Che and Lavrov are expected to discuss ways to further strengthen their ties and a possible visit by Russian President Vladimir Putin to North Korea. North Korean Foreign Minister Chesoni arrived on a Sunday on a rare visit to Moscow for talks with a Russian counterpart, Sergei Lavrov. The North Korean delegation led by Che will remain in Russia until Wednesday. Let's turn now to domestic politics. The main opposition Democratic Party chair, Lee Jae-myung, will return to handling party affairs on Wednesday. That's 15 days after he was stabbed in the neck. So what can you tell us? Well, DP spokesperson Park Song-jun told reporters at the National Assembly on Tuesday that he will return to his duties by chairing a meeting of the party's Supreme Council on Wednesday. Park said the party chief will exert all-out efforts towards preparing for the general elections and resuscitating people's livelihood. On Lee's health, Park said the party chief has recovered significantly. He was stabbed in the neck on January 2nd by a man in his 60s while inspecting the site of a delayed construction for a new airport on Kadok Island in Busan. Meanwhile, on the other side of the aisle, the People Power Party's Emergency Leadership Committee Chairman Han Dong-un on Tuesday proposed reducing the number of parliamentary seats as his party's fourth political reform plan. Can you elaborate? Well, the chairman said after the PPP comes out victorious at the upcoming April general elections, the ruling party will propose and pass a revision to the law to reduce the number of National Assembly members from 300 to 250. Han said he will first call on the main opposition Democratic Party to pass the revision immediately so that the number of seats available at the next general elections will be 250. The reduction in the number of seats at the National Assembly can only be achieved by drastically reducing the proportional representation or consolidating constituencies. The interim leader criticised the proportional representation for not fulfilling its role. Yes, quite a controversial proposal. We'll see how the opposition parties respond in the coming days. Mm -hmm. Let's turn to news from Hollywood. Beef, a Netflix drama series written and directed by South Korea-born director Lee Sung-jin and starring Korean-American actor Steven Yeun, has swept 
eight awards at the 75th Primetime Emmy Awards. Can you tell us more? Well, the 10-episode series won Outstanding Limited or Anthology Series or Movie on Sunday during this uh, ceremony held at the Peacock Theatre in Los Angeles. Uh, Lee Song-jin, who also uh, won both the Outstanding Directing and Writing Awards, thanked those who had shared their struggles in life after watching the series, adding the best thing about making beef was working with people who loved unconditionally. Uh, Stephen Yun, who was named Outstanding Lead Actor in a limited series, thanked his fellow cast members as well as his character Danny, saying, while judgment and shame make people lonely, compassion and grace people... um, bring people together. Yun's fellow cast member Ali Wong was uh, named Outstanding Lead Actress, while Beef also bagged three awards in casting, costumes and picture editing. The 10-episode series became one of the top 10 most watched shows on Netflix, staying on the list for five consecutive weeks after its release in April last year. That's where we're going to wrap it up for our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates. Thank you. U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission made a landmark decision for cryptocurrency investment last week. It granted approval to spot Bitcoin Exchange Traded Funds, or ETFs. It's hoped that this will open up new investment opportunities and foster growth in the virtual asset markets. However, here in South Korea, financial authorities have rejected the proposed brokering of such products in local markets, saying that it may violate the Capital Market Act. To take a closer look at these developments and its ramifications, we're joined on the line by Daniel Yu, Head of Global Asset Allocation at Yuanta Securities. Mr Yu, hello and thank you for your time. Thank you very much for having me. First, can you tell us what is Spot Bitcoin ETF and how is it different from regular Bitcoin ETFs? Sure. When you look at the Spot Bitcoin ETF, uh, it offers more accessibility and it is regulated uh for the investors to get involved in the Bitcoin. So uh, SEC approval is the uh, most important factor here. Uh, now, the previous year, there had been ETF uh, that was traded, but that is more like uh, futures uh, ETF. So uh, ETFs mostly based on ETF, uh, futures-based ETFs. Uh, and it tracks the future price of the Bitcoin contract, not the spot prices. So uh, it is much more complex and much more volatile price movement uh, uh, what's happening for that kind of ETFs. But now with the spot Bitcoin, uh, with the government approval, uh, investors can use their brokerage accounts uh, just like the traditional ETFs and it provides uh, securities. Uh, and therefore, I think that it will create much further trust and transparency. Right, so it's a more secure, accessible and regulated way for investors to get involved in Bitcoin. So how significant would you say this approval is? Well, it's most important. Um, The approval is a very important moment for the industry, uh, for the mainstream adoption and expansion of asset allocation strategies. Uh, As an asset allocation strategist, uh, we were not able to put... Uh, ETFs, uh, Bitcoin ETFs into our 
portfolio. But with this approval by SEC, we can actually set aside a certain part of the overall allocations, maybe somewhere around 3 to 5 percent. Uh, to actually invest into these kind of ETFs. So there'll be a lot of uh, institutions who use this uh, spot ETFs to uh, have some kind of accessibility, some kind of exposure to the Bitcoin uh, uh, segment. So now this Bitcoin has become uh, a one part of a asset allocation uh, uh, factor. Right, so it's another landmark step in Bitcoin going uh, mainstream, essentially. Uh, More can get involved in the action on this uh, growing industry. So what does it mean now for investors and the crypto market as well? Right, we've got to look at this as a pro and con. Uh, If you look at the, uh, in the past, if we were investing through the futures market, there have been quite a lot of uncertainties and also there had been quite a lot of criminal activity related to this. Uh, but uh, with the SEC approval, uh, this can be regulated properly. Uh, so therefore, uh, investor can invest as a part of a certain asset. Uh, now, having said that, if we look at the gold market uh, and gold ETFs, uh, that has been used as an alternative asset to the cash. Uh, because uh, when you have a huge amount of liquidity injection and printing money, uh, the value of the cash goes down, and people use this gold as a part of a substitute, so alternative assets. Now, uh, this SEC-approved ETF can be used for that as well. So therefore, we think that this can be quite a bit of a uh, important factor, and the investors can use that as an alternative asset, and the size can rise uh, based on uh, what kind of liquidity injection happens in the market. So, for example, what's the growth rate of M2? And if that grows at by a certain percentage, then we can actually invest a certain percentage of ETF, uh, the Bitcoin ETF, uh, and, and grow that size as uh, the overall M2 grows. Right, so the SEC has approved it, but do you think uh, it will be popular among uh, the big investors, including institutional investors? Yes, I think so. Uh, I mean, given the fact that uh, the biggest uh, so-called hedge fund, the BlackRock, and also various other uh, investors have uh, ETF launched, so therefore I think that uh, the securities or credibility is there. So therefore, a huge amount of institutions uh, will be investing certain part of uh, uh, their asset uh, into this ETF, uh, Bitcoin-related ETFs. Okay. So that's the situation in the U.S. However, it looks like South Korea is not following suit. Uh, South Korea's Financial Services Commission said that domestic securities firms' brokerage of overseas-listed spot Bitcoin ETFs may contradict the government's position on virtual assets and may violate the Capital Market Act, essentially saying that it could be illegal. Uh, What are the FEC's concerns here and what do you make of their stance? Right. If you look at the current regulations of the South Korean capital market, uh, it defines the underlying asset as one, financial investment product, two, domestic and foreign currencies, and three, a general commodities such as agricultural products, livestock products, fishery products, and uh, etc., minerals and energy, etc., and also uh, investment to a credit risk. Uh, so those are the ones that are allowed. Uh, but according to the authorities, 
the cryptocurrency such as Bitcoin do not fall under any of these categories. So therefore, they cannot consider as a underlying asset. Now, I think that uh, over the period in the future, uh, we could consider the Bitcoin as a general commodity, so say. Uh, so it can become a part of it. But for the time being, there is no definition for it. So therefore, uh, authority is looking into this. And uh, obviously, it will take some time for Korean investors to be uh, uh, actively invested into this, uh, uh, the Bitcoin ETFs. Right, I see. So right now, because it's not defined under uh, Korean uh, law, it's not been approved. But do you think then uh, that will change down the line? Well, I think so, uh, because if we think about the future, uh, South Korea will be competing on uh, virtual asset markets or the virtual uh, side. And also we are entering an era of AI uh, uh, importance. Uh, so more and more the AI application happens and the settlements uh, will be happening with this kind of cryptocurrency per se. Uh, and SEC approval happens, then there will be more products can be tra- uh, uh, transact uh, using a Bitcoin per se. So a lot of things will happen. So we think that uh, South Korea will gradually move into this it's just that they want to see how this thing plays out. Uh, and the approval has happened not too long ago. Uh, we have plenty of time. And uh, meanwhile, I think that the government will be having a proper regulatory environment where we can enter this, uh, the Bitcoin ETFs as a part of uh, investable uh, uh, assets. I see. So for now, the financial authorities have hit the brakes on this, but uh, it could be greenlit uh, perhaps quite near in the future as well. Uh, in the meantime, though, where does the situation leave South Korea? What impact could the SEC's decision have on South Korea's uh, virtual asset market? Well, I mean, for the time being, I think that uh, you know we are uh, we see quite a lot of traders who trade, uh, but mostly the individuals. Uh, in the cryptocurrency market, uh, we have exchange already set up. Uh, also, we see that uh, there's quite a lot of uh, institutions who are actively in, looking into the cryptocurrencies, uh, uh, and, and that is a, some asset that needs to be traded. So I think that uh, it's just put a, some, uh, I guess, time lag uh, to follow the U.S. suit, but I think that it's in the right direction. Uh, there will be quite a lot of people involved into uh, approving uh, this uh, type of the uh, ETFs. I think that if the Korean institutions start to get involved, especially the financial institutions, uh, just like what BlackRock did, uh, I think that that would probably create a, quite a bit of a, a market. Uh, so, yes, there's an issue for the time being, but gradually we think that the uh, FSC will be uh, approving the process. But for the time being, obviously, I think that we have to wait and see. You say it's going to be gradual. How long do you think it could take? What processes uh, need to be uh, done in, uh, before it is approved? Well, uh, I think that we, know we need to see how the uh, already approved U.S. Uh, trades. Uh, obviously, we know, we, we know that the, the equity markets in the past, it was actually traded in the U.S., and we start to receive that as capitalism. So uh, I think that, you know, this is a brand-new asset. So the uh, first time approval has happened uh, not too long ago. It might take a uh, month, it might take years, but I guess we have to see how 
these things trace and it doesn't create any kind of criminal issues. So uh, we will have to wait and see. But uh, as you said, uh, I think this will be a gradual process. And it's not going to be a something that it will never. Uh, it, it, it's it will be traded sometime in the future. It's just that it will take time, and I don't know exactly how long it will take. Is there a risk of South Korea perhaps falling behind if they take too long? Well, uh, South Korea is already falling a bit behind in terms of the AI adoptions. Uh, I hope that uh, you know we have. Uh, initiative enough to follow the, what U.S. is doing and also various other countries are doing. Uh, yes, there, that is a concern, as you said, uh, whether, you know, if we're uh, lagging behind. But uh, once we start to kick in, I think that, you know, Korean uh, institutions are very aggressive and fast in terms of adopting things. So I think that we're not too worried. Uh, it will probably happen before too late. And finally, uh, are you excited by this uh, opportunity, potential opportunity down the line as well, or do you have reservations? Well, I'm not. Uh, I don't look at that as a any excited issue or um, denial issues. I just I take it as a a, a new asset class. Uh, so I will just use this as a substitute to gold ETFs. Um, so we will have a regulatory or. I guess, a structural uh, investment strategy. So we invest certain part of our asset to the alternative asset uh, that cannot reach above 10% of the asset portfolio. So I will just use this uh, ETF as a part of that 10%. Uh, uh, we're not you know, too excited. We're not too uh, worried. Uh, I think that we're just, as I said, it, it will be a one of the assets that we can invest. Okay, well, it looks like it's a a matter of when, not if, for South Korea to follow the U.S.'s uh, footsteps, but we will see exactly when that will be. Uh, We'll leave it there for today. We've been speaking to Daniel Yu from Uanta Securities. Thank you for briefing us on this situation today. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index fell 28.40 points, or 1.12% on Tuesday, to close at 2,497.59. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also fell, losing 4.88 points, or 0.57%, to close at 854.83. On the foreign exchange, the local currency weakened 11.61 against the US dollar, to close at 1,331.81. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at will.kbs.co.kr. It's our daily segment now, Korea Trending. This is where we take a look at some other news stories that have been trending online. And we do that with contributor Diane Yu today, who's in the studio with us. Diane, hello. It's great to see you. Hello, Jango. Okay, so what do you have for us first? Koreans cheered together with joy on Monday night as South Korea's national football team took one step closer to winning the HM Cup for the first time in 64 years. The Taegu Warriors, led by coach Jurgen Klinsmann, triumphed over Bahrain 3-1 on Monday in the first Group E match held at Jasim bin Hamad Stadium in Doha. With the team's win, Korea is second in the group on goal difference. Yes, so Korea bagged the win. 3-1 sounds like a comfortable win for the Korean side on paper. But Mm -hmm. actually, 
that wasn't the case, right? Right. Despite having key forwards such as Son Heung-min and Lee Kang-in starting, Korea got off to a rough start and couldn't create any decent chances. But then, 27-year-old midfielder Hwang In-bum came to the rescue as he scored the first goal in the 38th minute of the first half, turning the tables for the team. Lee Jae-sung's pass in the penalty box found Hwang, who curled the ball into the top left corner of the net. Yes, it was a beautifully composed shot and we expected to Korea to kick on from there, but mm. the second half didn't start as expected. Right. The next key moment came from Bahrain, who managed to grab an equalizer in the 51st minute. But it didn't take long for the Tiger Warriors to go ahead once again, only five minutes later. This time, it was the Gang In show. The Paris Saint-Germain star scored from an amazing low-driven shot outside the area, beating goalkeeper Abraham Lufala. The third goal, also scored by Lee, came in the 68th minute. Midfielder Hwang Inbom found the 22-year-old not marked by a defender just outside the penalty box and passed to him. The PSG winger then coolly beat a Bahrain player before slotting the ball in the back of the net. Yes, it was a landmark performance from Indeed. Lee. Uh, just when Korea seemed to be struggling, he really took the game by the scruff of the neck and mm-hmm. scored that first goal with some brilliant individual skill. And he completely changed the game towards Korea's favour as well. People have been likening his performance to Lionel Messi, the Argentinian star, which is high praise indeed. But considering how he played yesterday, it's uh, not an exaggeration. Mm. But despite E's performance and the win, there were areas of concern from Korea's performance, right? Right. Coach Jurgen Klinsmann will be happy with the Tiger Warriors' 71% possession and 14 shot attempts, but he will not be so pleased with the team only managing five shots on target. So the players will have to work on becoming more clinical in the final third ahead of the next game against a strong opponent from the Middle East. On Saturday, Korea takes on Jordan, who sits at the top of Group E following following a confident 4-0 win over Malaysia. This will be seen as the biggest test for Korea during the group stage. Yes, if Korea wins the next game against Jordan, then the team will go through to the next round with a game to spare. So it'll be important to pick up the win as that would give the players a bit of a breathing room ahead of the Malaysia match and mm. the knockout stages as well. Uh, we'll have a full breakdown of the Jordan game on next week's Monday Sports Roundup with UGO as well. Let's uh, move on to our second story now. What do you have for us? We're easily connected to each other through the development of the internet, but ironically, Koreans are found to prefer to spend their time alone, isolated, rather than with their loved ones. According to the 2023 Life at Home report released by Swedish furniture retailer IKEA on Tuesday, four out of 10 Koreans found time alone at home the most enjoyable. On the other hand, only 10% of respondents said that spending time with the people they live with brings joy to life. To give you a little bit of background of the survey, the Life at Home report is one of the largest and most distinctive research studies on living a happy life at home in the world. And I believe this annual report is celebrating its 10th anniversary, right? Mm-hmm. They must have gained a lot of insights over those past 10 years. It is an extensive study for sure. This year's report analyzed data collected from a quarter of a million survey participants in 40 countries around the world over the past 10 years, including a survey conducted on over 37,000 people in 38 countries in 2023. According to this survey, it was revealed that Koreans are not satisfied with their lives at home. 
While 60% of global respondents said they currently feel positive about their lives at home, only 43% of Koreans gave positive answers, ranking second lowest among the countries surveyed. In Korea, it has been revealed that people want to quietly enjoy their leisure time at home rather than engaging in productive activities such as work, hobbies, or organizing things. 58% of respondents in the country consider their ideal home to be a place where they can relax and unwind, which is very high compared to the global survey result of 43%. Wow, okay. And so while people see the home uh, in Korea as a place to relax and unwind, you mentioned earlier that uh, Korean people, they prefer to do it alone, it seems. Right. 40% of Korean respondents answered that spending time alone is the greatest joy at home. On top of that, it was found that people in the country don't prefer to spend time with others at home. Only 14% of them said that they feel happy sharing laughter with their family members. When compared to 33% of respondents around the world giving positive answers, that's an alarmingly low number. The unfortunate reality does not end here. It was found that Koreans find it difficult to live a healthy and sustainable life at home due to household economic and and cost pressures. Yes, so for Koreans compared to other countries, it seems the home is not a happy place. No. That sounds rather concerning. Perhaps Mm -hmm. a a deeper investigation needs to be made of why this might be the case. But certainly the survey uh, by the furniture giant has given us quite a lot of food for thought. Right. Let's continue on to our last story. What else do you have for us today? South Korean-American actor Ma Dong-seok, also known as Don Lee, is heading to the 74th Berlin International Film Festival. The organizers of the festival announced on Monday that the 52-year-old actor's action film The Roundup Punishment has been added to the Berlinale Special Gala lineup. This year's edition is slated to be held from the 15th to the 25th of February 2024. Yes, this is the latest installment of the hugely popular The Roundup series. Right. Uh, tell us more about the special gala. What is it for? The Berlinale special, launched in 2004, is a non-competitive section that introduces new works that combine artistic quality and entertainment. Last year, several Korean action films were chosen for the special gala, including Kill Boksun, starring Chun Doyeon, and the dystopian action film Time to Hunt, with Lee Jae-hoon as the main actor. And the special thing about this year's selection is that The Roundup Punishment is the first movie from a Korean film film series to be invited. An investment and distribution company of the movie, ABO Entertainment, said that the organizers of the festival unanimously selected the newest installment of the Korean action series after watching it and giving positive feedback. Well, that certainly heightened our expectations for the film as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another Korean movie that's been invited to the festival, right? Yes. Director Jong Yumi's short animation Circle was also invited to the short film competition section of this year's festival. It's not the first time that Chung has been invited to this category. She had received invitations three times previously with Meth Test, Love Games, and House of Existence. She is the first director to enter the shorts competition of the film festival more than four times. Oh. Okay, so some Korean films uh, and names to look out for at the festival this year. Mm-hmm. That's where we're going to wrap it up for today's Korea Trending. Thank you for those stories, Diane, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Korean Basketball League has reached the halfway point of the regular season and now the race for the playoff spots 
are really heating up. One of the teams in contention is Suwon KT Sonic Boom, who are sitting third in the standings. And a key player who's helped them get there this year is American forward Paris Bass. In fact, he recently won the MVP award for the third round of the league with his stellar performances. I'm delighted to say that he's made time to join us via video call for Touch Basin's Hole to talk about his journey to career, his goals for the remainder season and more. Let's bring him in now, Mr. Bass. Hello and thank you for your time today. Uh, hello, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me, man. Well, first off, congratulations on being named MVP of the KBL third round. How does it feel? Were you expecting it? You've been playing well. Oh, uh, not really, man. I'm just trying to put a mark on my name this year, you know, coming in fresh. It's my first time playing in the KBL. So I'm just trying to, you know, make my way around the league. I was happy with it, but probably more happy with winning it. You know, the goal of winning the championship. Well, you sound very uh, modest. Still, what went through your mind when you received the award? Uh, I was I was happy. You know, um, a little hard work is starting to pay off. People starting to recognize me more and more in the league. Uh, my teammates made sure I felt more than comfortable with the um, achievement. So it, it felt like a good thing. Yes, you joined Suwon last summer. How would you rate your performance so far? I mean, you know, you've won the third round MVP, but still on a personal level, uh, how do you think you've been doing? Did you have any personal goals before you started? Uh, Not really personal goals. Um, Maybe MVP. But um, besides that, you know, the goal is always to win the championship. Uh, I just came in to put a stamp on my name and, you know, hopefully throughout my basketball years, I'm able to come back here and play again. So I feel like that's working out and everything is going the way I like it right now. So no complaints at all. Right. So you want to try to win the championship. Was that something uh, the team talked to you about when uh, they talked to you about perhaps joining the team and coming to Korea? Uh, Yeah, um... I feel like that's really the goal for any team, but uh, here specifically, uh, they told me that, you know, Hoon was coming in from the Army, and we had a couple of other guys coming in from the um, national team, and they thought I would be a good fit for the team, and they would, you know, basically like to see if we could make a run at winning the championship this year, and they think it could happen. So I am man for the job, and here I am today. Did it take a lot of convincing? Uh, what did you know about the Korean Basketball League before you came? So right before I got here, I mean, I didn't really know anything, but I ran into a couple guys. You know, I, I, I uh, work out in Miami a lot. So a couple guys who play here, they told me about it and, you know, gave me the ins and outs on how the play is and, you know, a couple spots to eat at and just, to, you know, how to enjoy myself here. So, before that, I really didn't know too much about it. But after that, you know, everything was calm and subtle. And then when I got here, I felt more than welcome. So, like I said, no complaints. I, I like it here, man. It's it's a good atmosphere. The people are good. And the fans are, like, more than generous to the players. Right. So it sounds like you've settled in well. Still, before you came, what was it like when you were – asked to come to Korea were you surprised uh, uh, what was that process like what made you decide to, to come to Korea in the end uh, so they reached out to me 
uh, my agent. Um, the owner, the GM, he said he reached out last year, but I was like focusing on, you know, NBA things like that. And basically, um, everything didn't go the way it was supposed to, but I was, you know, happy with the situation with coming here because they made me feel like everything was going to be all right. I was going to, you know, adapt to being here and everything. So we had a couple um, Zoom calls and, you know, uh, they came to see me play while I was in Vegas and, you know, just let me know that everything was going to be fine and I was going to be comfortable coming in and the way they wanted things to go this year. And, you know, from there on out, I was just working out to get ready to come here. I guess perhaps it was a less of a leap for you to come to Korea because you have played all over the world in your career, it seems. Uh, you grew up in the U.S. and went to college in the U.S. as well, but then your career took you to Austria, the Dominican Republic, Taiwan, Puerto Rico, Colombia as well, and various leagues in the U.S., of course, as well as the so NBA with the Phoenix Suns. Mm-hmm. That's quite a career. Uh, yeah, man, it's basketball thing. It takes you all over the world. I'm just, you know, blessed and humble enough to still be able to play. I'm getting a little bit older, so, uh, I want to keep things going and keep things rolling. As far as like, it wasn't really like such as a downgrade or anything like that. It was just, you know, different journey, different pace, and, you know, just got to keep moving forward. Like I said, I, I like it here. I'm more adapted. I have my girlfriend here, so she comforts me. You know, I'm not really alone too much. Mm. Uh, thinking about getting a dog out here, so I'm real comfortable, man. Well, it certainly sounds it. How does Korea, uh, how is it perhaps different from all the other countries you've played in? Uh, the, the thing that's probably most diff- different than other countries is like the fan base. Um, here, you know, the fans are, 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 they make you feel very welcome. Like, they give you gifts and stuff like that. Like, in other places, the fans are, they're good fans and everything, but it's like, it's the opposite here. So, I, I really wasn't expecting, like, to give gifts from, you know, me playing and me doing all of this and them coming to see me. But, like, it shows they appreciate us. They appreciate the game. And I, I really like that about them. Um, you know, when we come to games, everybody's lined out outside just for us rain sleet or snow so i i I love the dedication and you know it's my job to show how much i appreciate them on the court what sort of presence do you get from the fans what's perhaps uh the most unexpected thing you got so uh right now like the like the most expensive thing i got was probably cologne um (laughs) time for to be exact uh, a couple games ago, I got asked what what iPhone I have, so I guess that's in the works. But wow. um, yeah, my teammates receive shoes all the time, um, donuts, every anything you can name from from Nike to to them coming in, you know, bringing us stuff for lunch or anything like that. So they're real supportive, and it's different, but I, I definitely like it. Were there any sort of unexpected presents that you got? Perhaps not uh, products as such, but uh, some way that the fans showed their dedication. Um, I got a couple of letters. You know, um, fans showed me how much they appreciate me. Um, them loving basketball more this year because of me, and you know, 
sort of like inspirational, like motivational, like little letters and stuff like that. It really touched the heart. It was like made me get a little soft spot inside. Um, so yeah, stuff like that, you know, keeps you going and keeps you, you know, like, yo, I'm playing for a reason and, you know, it keeps me here like comfortable. Well, it sounds uh, like the fans really do uh, love you as well. What's it been like playing with the team? Have there been any uh, issues? For example, communication, I'm sure, would be uh, one concern that many people have when they come to a foreign league. How's your Korean so far? Uh, yeah, so I don't speak any Korean um, <laughs> besides Kamsamida um, and there when the coach is speaking. But uh, we have a good translator here, you know, to help us talk to the guys. You know, I try to, you know, you just try to... You, you, I'm not from here, so it's kind of hard to actually talk to the guys, but you try to make hand gestures or, like, you know, certain things to get guys to understand you because I try to communicate with everybody, make everybody feels comfortable just like they do the same with me, and I'm sort of like a jokester, so I like to be around the guys and, you know, just just make them feel like family because we're here for six or seven months, so why not? It's just like my personality. Sure. Who who have you been getting uh, close with in the team? Who 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 have you clicked with? Um, I mean, Mike obviously because he's American. Um, Hoon, he's a very funny guy. Um, Lee, Duan, Moon, Captain, all the guys. You know, I try to you know crack a joke or say something too. Usually every day in practice or something to let them know like, yo, we we, you know, I'm, I'm here. And I'm, family here whenever you need me or anything like that so it's like one big group of family try to joke even though I really can't understand them and they can't understand me we got the translator to translate everything so he's working hard to you know make things much easier for me and uh... with it certainly seems like the uh, teamwork is gelling so looking ahead to the rest of the season then uh, what do you think your team needs to do now to continue this uh, run and perhaps uh, aim for that championship that you want? I think for us, it's just um, basically just consistency, man. We we got a, we got all the gel and everything going. It's just uh, for us like to keep it going and to get, stay consistent on it. Um, I feel like when Hoon and Yugi, you know, the big guys from the, from the um, national team came in, it was like sort of tough for other guys to, you know, mesh and, and glue together. But since then, we found a way. Everybody's been finding their, you know, their 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 thing to do or what they do on the team to make us better. And like honestly, now it's probably just being consistent. Well, hopefully uh, you'll get there. As a final thought, um, any words you'd like to say to the fans? Um, appreciate KT fans, man. Um, I never had fans like these, but I definitely appreciate y'all here to win the championship. Um, go KT Sonic Boom, and I'm going to give y'all everything I got. Continue to support. I'm going to give y'all everything I got on the court and love. Well, good luck for the rest of this season, and it's been a pleasure to talk with you today. We've been talking to uh, Paris Abbas of the Suwon KT Sonic Boom. Thank you once again for your time today. Thank you, thank you.
We are Boys Choir Bonipueri and you are now listening to Time now for Morning Edition Preview, our closing segment, where we take a look at some interesting features or reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers, namely the Career Times and the Career Herald, who we thank for providing us with their early editions to make this segment possible. And for that, we have joining us in the studio our staff editor, Richard Larkin. Richard, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. Good to see you too. Okay. so what's the first article that caught your eye for tomorrow? Well, I have some interesting figures coming out from the US that can be found in Lee Jung-un's article in the entertainment section of the Korea Herald. So Luminate, which is an American music and entertainment industry data research firm, has released a list of the top 10 selling pop music CDs in the US last year. And wow, K-pop truly dominated. Okay, so these are physical CDs. Yes. Uh, Many listeners might be wondering whether we even keep track of (laughs) CD sales anymore, but it seems we do. And K-pop, you say, has dominated. I guess it's no surprise because how much K-pop has dominated uh, in the US in recent years, Mm. headlining music festivals and so on right right yeah so i also think that compared to other genres there are more incentives for buying k-pop albums so you get things like uh, photo cards and raffle tickets for concerts so i think buying physical copies is is an important task for fans of the acts exactly it it becomes a a collectible for fans and they also buy multiple albums because they have multiple photocopies uh, photo cards that they want as well indeed so yeah there are a total of seven albums from korean acts that made it onto the top 10 list and what is funnier is that the only non-Korean act to make the list was Taylor Swift, who took up the other three spots. She took three spots. <laughs> yes. Three of her albums took up the top ten spots. That mm. is uh, fascinating. I guess that's, again, no surprise either with how successful she's been uh, with her tour last right. year and her remakes of old albums as well. Mm. But the singer-songwriter being the only non-K-pop act on the top ten CD sales list is quite a a surprise, actually. I actually read that part of the article twice because I couldn't believe it myself (laughs) the first time. It just shows how popular the genre has become. So yeah, the American singer's Taylor's version topped the list with 800,000 sales. Her other two albums, Midnight's and Speak Now, Taylor's version, placed 8th and ninth. Stray Kids studio album Five Stars sold 520,000 copies, so it placed 2nd. And the group's mini-album Rockstar was 4th. Yeah, Stray Kids uh, may have been seen as a bit of an underdog when you look at other groups like New Jeans and Seventeen, right? Right, yeah. I was surprised to see them place higher than some other acts, but I don't follow K-pop as much as I should, so <laughs> maybe that's on me. <laughs> the article mentions that Jungkook of BTS was the only Korean solo act on the list, with 240,000 copies sold. So yeah, overall, an impressive year for K-pop in the US. Will we see similar success this year? I'm actually very curious to see if we will. I think we will, because as we said, CD sales, it is a rarity nowadays. Mm. Uh, It is a special collectible that I think only uh, K-pop acts and Taylor Swift fans uh, really (laughs) appreciate at the moment. So yes, I wouldn't be surprised if we see similar figures uh, next year, Mm. this year as well. Okay, let's move on to our second article. What do you have for us? So while reading Park Hansel's article in the trend section of the Korea Times, I found an interesting fact. The National Museum of Modern and Contemporary Art Korea only has around 990 works by foreign artists. Mm. This may sound like a lot to some, but that is just 8.5% of the MMCA's total collection, as it has around 11,500 pieces. So the museum has decided to strengthen its collection of international arts starting this year. 
Yes, museums in Korea have been trying to increase their global profiles as part of their plans to attract more visitors and become bigger names abroad as well. So how does the MMCA plan to do this? So the museum aims to increase its collection of international art to 9% by 2026. To do this, 20% of the annual budget will be allocated to make purchases. But that is not enough as 20% only works out to be around 3.5 million US dollars. So the MMCA is looking at other avenues like donations made to the MMCA Foundation and a special budget secured from the government. Does the article mention details regarding what type of works by foreign artists we could see on display at the MMCA in the future? It does have a little bit. So this year, the focus is on works by female Asian artists. That's because in September, the museum will hold an exhibition called Connecting Bodies, which will show works from some 50 female creators from Asia who have been active since the 1960s. The article doesn't really have any details about plans after that. Okay, so for more information, we can check out tomorrow's Korea Times. Uh, That's where we're going to wrap it up for Morning Edition Preview. Thank you for those stories, Richard, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. And that's where we wrap up our show today as well. Thank you for staying with us. Join us again tomorrow to continue to get your daily dose of Korean news analysis. Till then, I've been your host, Kwon Jang-ho, and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. Thank mm-hmm. you.